This morning we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, 8 through 12, and starting in verse 8, we'll, we'll look at this morning. And the title of the message this morning is Love Without Restraint or Grumbling. And this is imperative. This is a command. We've we, we got to do this. We've got to love without restraint or grumbling. In 1 Peter, we have been looking at how Peter has been encouraging and challenging these people who have been scattered throughout their regions. And in the midst of that scattering, uh, they have been experiencing persecution, and they have been experiencing trials and all kinds of of things that haven't been going their way. And Peter has been encouraging them and challenging them to continue to be who God has called them to be, regardless of how things are going, the circumstances in their life. And so uh, with that said... Uh, the sheet that is being handed out, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, and it, it, it's basically just a sheet that you've probably, some of you have seen before, and it's a list of all the one another's in Scripture, and you can see where it says to serve one another, love one another, be kind to one another, all those things, um, different verses that, that it mentions one another in Scripture. And what's unique about First Peter is this, is that We don't have, uh, most of the letters that are written in the New Testament are written to specific churches. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians, where was that church located? Corinth, good job. We got some Bible scholars in the room. All right, Uh, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonica, good. Uh, Romans, that's a tough one. Rome, yeah, they're... Most of those letters are written specifically to local churches, groups. Most of the time in those towns, it's not like they had First Baptist and uh, the Assembly and different churches. Uh, someone was talking to me this week, and they mentioned Third Baptist Church. That's the first I've ever heard of a Third Baptist Church. I've heard of a lot of First and Seconds, but anyway. Uh, so a, a, back in this day, of course... After Jesus, very soon after his crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension, uh, there were not a lot of, um, there weren't several churches in one town for the most part. There were small groups of Christians scattered in these different towns, and so Paul would write a letter to the church at Corinth, and it would be all the Christians that are there that meet together, that you know, as the author of Hebrews encourages us not to neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, we are encouraged throughout the Bible to meet together and to, to be the church and to exercise the things that God has taught us to exercise. And so keep that in mind because we need to marry that thought of the local church in the midst of a people who are scattered. This letter is unique in that it's not just sent to a local church, it's sent to Christians who are scattered. Now, some people believe that he's writing to a specific region, or maybe two or three regions, and therefore um, local churches, but there is a very real sense of the local church in Scripture, like our local church. And when the Bible talks about the local church, it is, it is mentioned many times, like We mentioned the church at Corinth. Um, It is mentioned to the Corinthians. It is mentioned to the Romans that the local body 
is made up of individual members. Those are the people who attend. That would be us. And those people who attend have a responsibility that God has given them to play a part in the local body of Christ, that they are to uh, be an effective, active part. And we see this throughout Scripture. And so while this letter might not necessarily be written to a specific local church, he's about to use some language, Peter is, that Paul and others use in the New Testament that help us to see that he is very much talking about the local church here and what needs to happen in it. Um, so just as a reminder, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 said, The end of all things is at hand, which is some pretty urgent language. That's something we need to pay attention to. When someone says the end of all things is at hand, and then he says, uh, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we looked at that last week, and we talked about how the end of all things is at hand is not something that was uncommon for someone in the Bible to allude to, that life is brief, that we need to be prepared for what God has, um, that we need to be telling people around us and loving people around us because the end of all things is at hand. But what is unique is that he is encouraging us to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, for the sake of your prayers. And so we discussed last week how in prayer, when we come into the presence of God, God transforms us into his image. And he shows us the things in our life that need to be changed. And it's through prayer that he he draws us into his will. And when we spend time with God, when we spend time talking to God, Not that we never say selfish things or wrong things, uh, but during that time, God somehow, the more time we spend with him, changes our prayers from being selfish to being his will and what he wants. And we begin to ask for things that he wants, and when we're asking for things that he wants, he tends to answer those prayers. And so we, we discussed all that last week. And now we're going to continue. So right after it says, for the sake of your prayers, in verse 8, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now here's that first one another in this passage. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, it shouldn't surprise you that when it says above all, keep loving one another earnestly. How many of you think you could say, at least most of the fruit of the spirits, or fruit of the spirit. Anybody in here? Thank you. All right. How many of you know the first thing listed? Yeah. Good job. Love, love, and it's love, peace, patience, and it keeps going. And a lot of people think. Some of you are just saying the song in your head. Uh, a lot of you, a lot of people think that the reason love was mentioned first is because love is like an umbrella that covers all those other things. All those other things fit in there. If you want to know what love looks like, right, we were doing a wedding yesterday, and we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and love is patient. Love is kind. Love is active, right? And so when we see love listed there as the first of the fruit of the Spirit, then it acts as this is what love looks like in action. Here are the others. I believe that. Um, If you look at the great commandment in the New Testament, when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment of all the law, um, what did he say? 
Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, depending on which one you read, but something to that effect. And then a second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. So there we see that we're supposed to be loving God, we're supposed to be loving others, and we're supposed to be loving ourselves. And so love, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That doesn't mean that loving one another is easy. In fact, this is in the midst of a passage about suffering. And so sometimes loving one another can be extremely difficult. Sometimes, um, oftentimes, the people around us don't deserve our love. And yet, we're the ones not deserving love a lot of times. And, yet, and people still choose to love us. And God, even when no one else sticks with us, God sticks with us. God loves us. So above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, in the New Testament, over and over and over again, we see one another, love one another, or each other, or some form of this, and you have that listed, all those, or maybe not, that might not be an exhaustive list, but there are a lot of them mentioned on your list there, and this language brings the church to mind. And not that we're not to love strangers, and we'll get to that in just a moment, Um, but if the church, if we're not loving one another, if we're not being the church that God has called us to be, then how, why would anyone want to be a part of the body of Christ? Why would anybody want to be a part of what God is doing? And many of you in this room have that testimony, right? At some point, you left a church because you didn't feel loved, and that's a shame, and it sh- I wish it wasn't like that. I wish that that never happened. But churches are made up of flawed human beings. And flawed human beings sin even after they become Christians. And um, hopefully the church is growing more into the image of Christ, our church and others. And we are becoming the church that God has called us to be. Um, but that might not always be what it feels like in, in moments of conflict. But it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, sincerely, legitimately. And we can talk about love. We can say we love someone. But if we say something with our mouth and then our actions prove another thing, what's the truth? Do we really love them? And so we're going to talk more about love as we continue. But I want to keep going because we're going to see some practical ways of love. But it says here, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this isn't saying that, like, if you're really good and you love people a lot, then the things that you've done, you're making up for those. That's not how it works. We can't make up for the sins that we have committed. Uh, we're only, those are only forgiven by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, and only by his love. We can't make up for what we've done. When this says that love covers a multitude of sins, it's like this. If Rose does something wrong, I mean, that never happens. But let's, say, let's just use our imagination and pretend that, that Rose has wronged me in some way. Well, it's going to be extremely easy for me to forgive her because of all the love that she has proven and shown to me over the years. And the longer we're together, the easier it is to forgive and I give her lots of opportunities to practice forgiveness, but the easier it is to forgive because love covers a multitude of sins. Because when, when I'm wronged, 
I have such deep love because of the love that she has poured into my life, the love that Christ has poured into my life. That love is something that is easy when, I'm, when, when it comes to my wife, okay? Now, don't we wish that it was as easy to forgive everyone who wronged us? We, we wish that it was, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we hold on to those things. And, and I want to make this clear in verse 8, and the, the Bible was originally written the New Testament here, this was originally written in Greek. And in Greek, as many of you know, they have different words for love. We say love, like I love Rose and I love pizza, and we're using the same word even though it's different. I mean, it's close, but it's different types of love. And in the Greek language, they had different words. So agape, or some form of it, was a godlike love. It's a perfect love. And when we're told to love one another here, Peter on purpose uses that word for love one another. And love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. If your love is like the love of Jesus, then your love will cover a multitude of sins. Jesus did not have to forgive any of us. Is there anyone in this room who deserved Jesus' forgiveness? Don't raise your hands. It was rhetorical. No, none of us deserve Jesus, his love or his forgiveness, but he has chosen to give that to us freely for all who call on him, who put their faith in him. He has chosen to give that to us freely. And in the same sense, we who are followers of Jesus should as freely give love to other people. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, right? When we think about that prayer, we want to be given our daily provisions, right? And forgive us. We want to be forgiven uh, as we what? Forgive others. And we have to remember that Jesus himself, when he was praying the model prayer, said the words, forgive us as we forgive others. Well, Jesus forgives perfectly. But we, as followers of Jesus, need to learn how to forgive as he forgives. And we, if, if our forgiveness and the amount of grace and mercy that God is pouring on us, is there's, if there's a correlation there to the amount that we forgive, we might be in trouble, right? But I think that it's just the model of this is how we should forgive, that we should forgive others as God forgives us, which is freely. And love in that sense will cover a multitude of sins verse 9 show hospitality to one another without grumbling now the word hospitality and and i know i usually don't talk about the original language a lot but i think it's important here because the word hospitality is a combination of two greek words which is phileo which is the brotherly love like philadelphia brotherly love and then xenos X-E-N-O-S, which is stranger. And so this is saying that we should love strangers as our brothers. Or maybe love our brothers as strangers. No, I'm just playing. I'm pretty sure this is saying that we should love strangers as if they were brothers. And so while we are, of course, we're to, 
be hospitable to our family and our closest friends, but as a church, we are to be hospitable to one another. And we're not just to be hospitable to one another, we're to be hospitable to people outside of the church. Because how would they want to come in if we don't show hospitality, if we don't show love to strangers? How would they ever want to be a part of us? And I want to make it clear here that many of us worship together on Sunday morning, week after week after week, and in all, and in all we might as well be strangers, some of us. We might know a little bit about each other, but we don't truly know each other the way that a church family should. We're not truly bearing one another's burdens as a church family should. We're not having meals with one another. We're not showing love to one another in practical senses, not just that we have a good feeling. I think that we're an extremely welcoming church where if, if someone comes in our doors, we make them feel very welcome for the most part. I believe that. Um, but are we loving? Individually, are we loving? As a church, are we loving? In our homes, are we loving one another? And are we being hospitable? Um, and, and are we doing that without grumbling? You, you shouldn't just be hospitable because your pastor makes you, okay? That shouldn't be part of it. We should be hospitable because we want to show, we have experienced the love of Christ, and we want to show that love to other people. And so, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When we become Christians, the Bible teaches that we are given spiritual gifts, okay, at least one, and it means that God has given us some gift that we're good at that we should use for the sake of the church, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory, and look, I'm going to say that in addition to those spiritual gifts that we receive when we're saved, God has also given us given us natural, God-given from birth and, and as from nature or nurture or whatever's going on, he has given us gifts that we can use. If God has given us wealth, that's something that we can use. If God has given us intelligence, that's something that we can use. If God has given us a love for knowing how things work and why they work and fixing those things when they don't work, then that is a gift that God has given us that we can use for his glory. And then there are very specific spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. And uh, Peter is going to break those down into two categories in just a moment. But as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. There's another one another. We just see, we, we've seen three of these already in verse 8, loving one another, uh, 9, showing hospitality to one another, and then verse 10, to serve one another. You see, Paul uses this illustration of the church being like a body. And for a body to work as it should, all right, I don't know if any of you guys are basketball fans, um, but I've been watching the, the NBA Finals, and Kawhi Leonard, I, I just don't understand it, how it works. Like, he's so much muscle that when people run into him, he doesn't move and they fall down, all right? He is leading his team in this playoffs, in, in the finals, 
to victory. It's not over, but they're, they're up 3-1, and you just watch him play, and you just think, that is how a body is supposed to work. <laughs> that, is how a, a, that is the idea of what a professional basketball player should look like. Everything is working properly. And I say that, and he's injured and still doing all that. And so a body, when it's functioning as it should, is a great thing, right? And the, the body of Christ, the church, the local church, should be functioning as a body of Christ should. It should reflect Jesus and the glory of Jesus. And is our local church, are the local churches in our community and throughout the world, are we reflecting the glory of Jesus the way that the body of Christ should? We have to think about that. And if the answer is no, then what can we do about that? Is there something that's missing in the local church? Probably so. Is there something you can do about it? Probably so. Because the local church, the the body, which is one, is made up of many parts. And when one part isn't functioning the way that it should, it's very clear. It's very clear. And not to uh, use this basketball analogy too much, but Kevin Durant on the Warriors, his calf is injured. He can't even play in the game. Is that affecting his team? Yes. So in our church, who's missing? Who's not functioning the way that they should in the role that God has gifted them to work in? And I'm, I'm not calling out any names. I'm just asking, is that you? Are you using your gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace? God has given us gifts to use for his glory to build up the local church. This is from Ephesians 4. And when, when all the people are serving and doing as they should and, and they're building one another up, then it's transforming the body to look like Paul says in Ephesians 4, the mature manhood of Jesus. Just as Kawhi Leonard is showing us what a basketball player looks like and should look like on a basketball court, how do we know what a church should look like, the life of Jesus. We look at the life of Jesus, and that's how our church should look. And if it doesn't, then what can we do to help get there? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God gives different people different gifts and different amounts, and it doesn't matter who's gifted in this or that or whatever the case might be. He has given us all gifts for a purpose to build up the local body. And if you're a member of this church or if you're visiting this church today, whatever member you're a part of, you individually have a responsibility to use the gifts that God has given you for his glory through the context of the local church. In your communities, absolutely. In your homes, absolutely. to, to, To the nations, absolutely. But we are not lone rangers. We are called to be united. We are called to be a body. How can you love one another, show hospitality to one another, and serve one another if you're not with others? You can't. And so that's important. 
for us to realize. Verse 11. He's going to now um, break, this, break gifts into two categories. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. He's saying if your gift is something to do with speaking, whether that's teaching, preaching, evangelism, what, whatever it is, something that you're, you're telling people about the love of Jesus. You're preaching or teaching or whatever it is in the local church to help build up the body. If God has given you that gift and he has put words in you from, from the word of God and uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are to speak those things with wisdom, with confidence. You are to, to use them to the fullest. So whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. It, so he, he breaks it down into two categories, basically, speaking gifts and, and service, gifts of service. And, and he's saying, if God has given you a gift of serving, whatever that might be, then you use that gift of service. You serve in whatever way that is with all of your strength as if it was God who supplied the strength. And guess what? It's not as if. It is God who supplies the strength. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but the last few mornings when I have woken up, the, every morning I've had to pray, God, I'm waking up empty. I'm waking up tired. I need your strength. I need you to help me. I can't do this on my own. It, I'm, I'm over. Like My abilities and my strength, that ended a long time ago. <laughs> I need you today. And thankfully, according to the Bible, according to Paul, his power works best in my weakness. Paul said, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. So when I wake up in the morning and say, I'm weak, God, I can't do this without you. It serve as one who serves by the strength of God. I don't have any strength. How am I going to serve like that? Well, he's going to provide it. He's going to give us what we need. And so you might think, how, where am I going to find time to serve in the way that Philip is encouraging me to serve? Well, you're not, you're not going to find it like we found the offering plates inside the pulpit. You're not, you're not going to find it by, I mean, there are things we can do. We can rest. We can go on vacation. There, there are things we can do to re, get rejuvenated. But the ultimate way we're going to find it is in Christ, is relying on him and depending on him. And I promise that we can be searching for our best life. We can be searching for the things that are going to give us the most joy and the most happiness. We can be searching for those things and find them in all the wrong places. We can be searching for those things. And after we've given everything to find joy and peace and happiness in those places, and we've depleted all of our resources we'll realize that if it wasn't in God, then we're empty and we have nothing to show for it. But for God, if we give everything for him, then it's not for nothing. 
It's for something. It's for his glory. It's for his purpose. It's why he created you. And that is where you're going to find the most joy when you're living in the purpose for which he created you. When you're using the talents, natural God-given talents, the gifts, the, the natural gifts, but also the spiritual gifts that he has given you, when you're using those for his glory, and when you're emptying yourself, and when you're at the bottom of the well looking up, wondering, how am I going to get out of here? I've, I've used all of my resources. There's nothing left. What am I going to do? Then he is going to provide in his way. And ultimately, your provision might not be anything like you thought it would be. The way he provides for you, you might have been looking for it to, to come financially, to come with health, to come with energy, or whatever it might be. And God might say no to all of those things to keep you in a, a place of weakness so that his power can continue to shine through you. But he will provide for you in the way that you're, you need provision. And ultimately, for those of us who are called according to his purpose, we, we know that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his will. We know that. And, and we know that when we get to heaven, that there won't be any more striving, there won't be any more suffering, there won't be any more pain or tears. There will only be joy. There will only be God and relationship with him. There will only be blessing and reward for those of us who are his. And so, are you tired? Keep going. Not in your own power, not by your own might, but looking to him for strength and energy and guidance. Are you too tired to think you can get started? It's not biblical. We're called to use the gifts that God has given us for his glory. Have you reached retirement age? As, as Terry and Ann can tell you, that doesn't mean you get to stop working. J retired missionaries. They, did y'all think you were coming home to a life of relaxation? Good. You weren't disappointed then. We're called till we give our last breath to serve him. Now, are there seasons when we could do more than we used to or less than we used to? Of course. There are seasons of life. But we are to use the gifts that he has given us by his strength in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What's this transition? I thought he was talking about us serving the church, how is that going to bring glory through Jesus? Because the body of Christ is Christ. We are his representation. We are his ambassadors here on this earth. What we do, we do for him. All the good that we do, it reflects his glory. When we behave poorly or when we don't serve the way that God has called us to serve, it is a negative reflection on him to, to the world. And one day they will see the truth of who he is in all his glory. But right now, we are the reflection. And so whoever speaks as one who speaks 
oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is true. Let it be. This is how it is. That when the church is being the church that God has called us to be, it brings glory to Jesus, which is the ultimate goal of man. It's why we exist. It's why we were created. And if we're not doing that, then we are going to feel a sense of emptiness. Even when we're doing it, there's going to be spiritual warfare and there's going to be a sense of conflict and and, uh, oppression here on this side of eternity. But we are to continue. We are to obey. We are to to fall more in love with him day by day and to, to serve not just him, but to serve one another with the gifts that he has given us. So my question to you this morning is, how are you serving him? How are you serving other Christians? How are you showing love to strangers? How are you actively using the, the natural talents, the natural abilities the natural intelligence that God has given you for his glory? How are you using the spiritual gifts that he has given you to his glory? And for those of you in here who you're not even sure what a spiritual gift is, then come talk to me about it. We'll try to determine what your spiritual gift is. And it might take a little trial and error, but we'll figure it out. And we'll see how you're gifted and we'll see how God uses your gift for his glory. And really, if you want to know what you're gifted in and you've been trying to live for Christ and obey him, then ask your closest friends, how is God using me in your life? And if you're obedient to Christ, then he's going to be using you in the life of your family and friends. And their response might give you a glimpse into how you're gifted. Because there are some people that I'm around, and when I leave their presence, I'm just encouraged. So what gift do they probably have? The gift of encouragement, right? Barnabas. And then there are some people that I listen to them teach, and I just think, man, they, they make it so clear, plain, so simple, or... Whoa, I had no idea that was in there. How did they bring that out? Those people have the gift of teaching. And in the same sense, sometimes we think we have gifts that we don't have. And so we think we spend all of our time and energy trying to use this gift that we think we have for God's glory only to find out that, well, that, that wasn't my spiritual gift, and I poured all this energy into it. And so that's something we need to explore more. That's something that you as an individual need to explore more, and you can talk to us about it. We've done spiritual gift surveys in the past. We've done things like that, but we can help you individually uh, in seeking that. And so um, just remember that the end of all things is at hand, and we have a responsibility to pray. We have a responsibility to love one another because, remember, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. We have a responsibility to show show hospitality to one another, and to do that, without complaining. We have a responsibility to use the various gifts that God has given us for his glory in order that everything and everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion and forever forever and ever amen.
And let me just say this in closing. If you love Jesus, I don't have to talk you into loving Jesus. If you love him, you love him. And if you love him, the way to show him love is by obeying him and in obedience and honoring him, worshiping him, serving him. And what does that look like? A lot of times it looks like serving others, loving others, showing hospitality to others. It, it looks like using the gifts that he has given you for the sake of the church because when the church is built up and the church is being who God has called her to be, then she can reflect the glory of Christ, not just in our community, but to the ends of the earth. And so, where are you this morning? Maybe you're in here and you're thinking, I don't, I've never even put my faith in Jesus. I've, I've never even asked him to forgive me of my sins. I've never started following him. You can start following him this morning. You can start living in the purpose for which he created you this morning. Maybe you're in here and you're a Christian and you've been coming to church and you've been attending church and you've been faithful, but you don't know what gifts you have or how to serve him or what to do. Then let's have a conversation about that. Or you, let's start doing some trial and error. Let's start practicing some different ways of service to see what God has gifted you or how God has gifted you. And maybe you're in here and you know your spiritual gift and you've been serving and you've been given everything that you have and you don't feel like you have anything left to give. Then for you, let's go to God and let's say, I am empty. I need to serve as one who it, it says here, by the strength that God supplies. I need your strength, God. If you don't give me strength, I can't serve. Maybe that's where you're at. We're all in different places in this room right now. But what I know is that when we love like God has called us to love, then it's going to be honoring and glorifying to him, which is the end right here. And the way we get to the end is in the context of the local church being like Jesus. And the local church cannot be like Jesus if we as individuals, the parts of the body, are not functioning properly. We need every part of the body. We need every member of the church to realize that they are ministers, that they are missionaries, that they have responsibilities to be the part that he has created them to be and to make him known to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I just pray that you would be glorified in us, that you would help us to be the body that you have called us to be, that you would give us the strength that we need in order to serve you to the fullest. And God, in serving you, I pray that we would reflect your glory and that you would not just be glorified and honored in some of the individual's lives in our church, but that we as a whole, Lord, that we as the body of Christ would honor you and glorify you and reflect you. And I just pray that, that people would see you in us and that they would want a relationship with you, that they would want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.